Well, good morning. morning. I'm so glad you're here, whether you're joining us in the house, whether you're on a podcast or joining us live uh, via our video. I do want to say we need to stop and have um, some special prayer this morning for our churches down in Vanuatu. They've experienced two cyclones that have gone through there. We have not yet heard from Pastor James, who is a, a contact with me and a friend of Dr. David's who's down there pastoring those churches. And so we just want to pray quickly for our brothers and sisters down there in those island nations um, as these two cyclones rip through and communications are down and the, in the villages, they don't have any communications. And so we're praying that they are safe and sound. So Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Orchard Churches, Vanuatu, the four churches there. And I pray for Pastor James and his family. We pray, Father, you protect them. We pray they would also be a light amongst the darkness down there. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are with them. Also, one piece of business before we keep going. Uh, God continues to grow the orchard by nothing that we are doing up here and nothing that we are trying to do. God is growing us and and more and more people are, are becoming a part of our church here. And so I was telling the 830 people that some of you at 10 o'clock are going to need to start joining them. Now, I know for some of you that is just, you can't even imagine being awake at 8.30 and, and paying attention to a sermon. Um, but I would ask you, as we continue to grow through the spring and then we'll have the summer and the fall, we might need to go to three services and you'll have maybe an 11.30 option. You can sleep in even later. Um, but if you do are, if you are one of those families that gets the opportunity to be here at 8.30, um, that would be great. Um, until then, we are happy that you are here at 10. I'm going to start with a story of me when I was in sixth grade. And before I go too much further, I want you to remember sixth grade. Do you remember that? It was one of the most awkward years of your life. It was everything, nothing made sense. You didn't know who you are. You didn't know what was happening. Well, it was in that year, my parents decided they would take me out of public school and put me in this little Christian school right here in town. Um, and it was K through 12, I think, in one little room. It was a house. It wasn't a school. It was a house. And so there I was with about 13 other kids um, in this room uh, from a big public, I'm, I'm an extra, I don't know if you know that. I went from this big public school to this one little house and uh, I, I lasted for a semester and then they asked me to go back to public school. That's okay. (laughs) But there was a day, and I'll never forget this, we went out on the schoolyard to play. And when I say schoolyard, I just mean front yard. Like there was just this front little yard and it was all fenced in. And I was running from a friend of mine named Alpin Badgett and I decided to squeeze through the fence and the picnic table. And as I squeezed between them, a, a large splinter from this wooden picnic table went into my stomach. And I just kept going. I was, I mean, what's more important, getting, and it just continued. And pretty soon I am just pinned to this table. I can't go any farther that way. And so I have to kind of break it off and go back this way. I have no idea what I'm dealing with, but I call a timeout. I don't want any attention. I'm in sixth grade. Everything's fine. Everything's good. There's not blood pouring from my stomach. And so I go to the bathroom. And when I say bathroom, I mean it's a house. It has one bathroom and it has carpet on the floor. I mean, this is the kind of school I'm And so I'm there and I'm looking in the mirror and um, I lift it up and there is the largest splinter. I mean, um, the Home Depot would have, this, this would have been on sale, you know, like there is something protruding. Um, it's, it's in, it could be, in a, could, could be in organs. I don't, I can't quite tell. I'm not a doctor. I'm a sixth grader. But I know this. When I touch the end of it, it shocks me in places that I almost just, it like brings me to my knees. Like if you touch this thing, you, it, the pain is incredible. So now here I am in the bathroom, looking in the mirror, looking down at this uh, lumber that's in my stomach. And I have 10 minutes until um, I say the bell rings, until the guy goes, hey, recess is over. And then everyone comes in. 
and they'll need the bathroom. And so I'm sitting in there and I'm trying to figure out what am I going to do? I try to pull it, almost pass out. Nope, nope, can't do that. Uh, I am not going to go tell the teacher. I am not going to be that kid because if you're in sixth grade and something happens to you, they'll give you a nickname. I'll be Splinter Boy for the rest of my life. And I do not want to be Splinter Boy. And so I'm trying to figure out, I put my shirt down over it and I try, I say, can I stand up? I can stand up, okay, but as soon as I turn, it just catches and like, oh. So the only way it would work is if I did this. And I've realized if I did this the rest of the day, four more hours, because it was lunch, four more hours of this, and if I turn, I would just have to turn. (laughs) I could make it. Now when I sat, then I went and sat down on the chair in the bathroom just to see. Like, oh, okay, I can sit for the next four hours too. So it's this and it's this, but I'm just pouring sweat as I'm sitting there because there's no comfortable way to, to keep it off of the splinter. And so I stand back up, and I, I, will, I should remember this to this day, clearly. I remember this. Standing in that bathroom, my hands on the counter, looking in the mirror at my own eyes, asking, what am I going to do? And I look at myself looking back at me, and I just, I remember praying, God, please help me. But I'm, a, I'm at this school in Carbondale. My parents live past Redstone. They're over 30 minutes away. And, and remember, when you're in sixth grade, you don't want your parents coming to school. Like if you have an orthodontist appointment or something, you're like, I'll meet you out front. Do not come in. And there's no cell phone. I'm not texting anybody. I'm not calling my dad. Again, I'd have to go tell someone. So I, I, God, I, I, I'm gonna have to do this and then get home and then ask him to take me to Dr. Rick. But I guess I, right now I need your help. I'm sitting there looking at myself and I'm like, I'm in pain. I I don't know if I can make it the rest of the day. God, I need your help. As I'm sitting there, and I'll never forget, as I'm sitting there praying, there's a knock at the door. Just a second, I'll be right out, you know. And then I check my eyes to make sure there's no puffiness or tears. You do not want to be a crybaby at school in sixth grade. And so, um, and then I'm sitting there and as I'm I'm looking, I hear the knock in. Daniel, it's your dad. And I, it is my dad. I know his voice. And so I, I open the door. I'm like, what? And I get in here. And he goes, what are you doing? And I go, look. And he goes, whoa. <laughs> Did you try to get it out? Yeah, I tried to get it out. Don't touch it. You know, like, it's where, and he, I, I go, it's, he goes, well, we should probably go to the doctor. Let's do that, dad. So we go out. And I go, all right, I'm going to walk like this. <laughs> Play it cool, dad. Everything's fine. Like, okay, we get to the doctor, you know, they do open stomach surgery, they get the lumbar out. And I remember on the way home, I looked over at my dad and I was like, why did you come to school today? My dad never stops by the school. You don't want your dad to stop by the school. What, what happened? Like, why did you come to school today? And I remember he's driving, he goes, I don't know. I just felt like I should stop and check in on you. And I remember being this little dude, this little sixth grader, sitting there, driving back up to Redstone with bandages on my stomach, and it struck me, God had answered my prayer. I literally was in the middle of looking in the mirror, and God had already sent word to my dad, and he showed, he'd never showed up before that. God had seen me, he had heard me, he knew what I needed, and he, then he rescued me. Now, now, let's be honest, sixth grade problems are largely very small. Likely today, you're facing bigger problems than a splinter in your tummy, right? Weightier problems, situations, burdening questions that are hanging over you, pain within you. Maybe there's emotional needs or or mental challenges or even relational mess that you're trying to wrestle with in your life. 
In a room this size, this week, some of you have looked into the mirror of your bathroom at yourself and wondered what's gonna happen. And a few of you may have even whispered like I did, God, please help me. What do we do and where do we turn and how do we make it through these seasons and these situations where we, we need a rescue, we need God? It was, it's this question that right now as we're in this series where we, in, of Exodus, we come to this question. Remember, we're working our way through Exodus. It's our new series. And if you're new with us today or listening online um, and we're in the middle of this series, I wanna let you know why we're going through these ancient books. It's because we're finding God's nature in the book of Exodus. And because we're finding Jesus who's hidden for for us, even in these ancient books. And just a reminder to those who might be new with us, I want to remind you guys of something. The Orchard is an imperfect church of imperfect people trying to follow a perfect God. Are there hypocrites in here? Yeah. We're an imperfect church of imperfect people, and if you're one of those, you'll fit right in with the rest of us, okay? And there are a few hills as a church that we will not back down on. And the first of all is that we declare Jesus Christ Lord and higher than any issue, any affiliation, anything this earth may tell us is important. And we will endorse him year after year after year as our Lord and Savior and King. He's the head of this church. We also keep the main thing the main thing, and that's Jesus. And we take Jesus at his word when he says the entire Bible is summed up with love God and love people. And that's who we are. We believe God's word to be the authority and revelation of God's nature. And today we're looking at something that for some of you, and I'm praying, and for, for last service, there were some people whose eternities and lives will never be the same. And I'm praying for some of you today, I've been praying all week, because this, that you have a divine appointment today. A divine appointment is where God has set up an appointment with you today in him, because he wants to do some work in your heart, in your life. We're gonna start by looking at the plight of the Israelites as they're in slavery in Egypt. We've been looking at Moses, and remember, he's just got to the burning bush, and he's, he's gonna be sent back. But what about the Israelites? What about this slavery? What about before they're rescued? I mean, let's just think about this. If you were a Hebrew born during that time or the generations before, life has not been good to you. I want you to put yourself in this. For multiple generations, your family has been born into slavery. You've been risen and, and, and raised in slavery. At the time of Moses, any Hebrew boy that was conceived and born, they were the only ones to escape slavery because of the cruel decree by Pharaoh to cast them into the Nile River upon birth. Now, birth is usually a joy-filled moment, isn't it? bringing tears to the eyes of mothers and fathers as they get to hold and see their newborn for the first time. But, but in those days, in these days we're talking about, the labor would have been a labor of worry. Is it gonna be a boy or a girl? And at the moment of birth, the mother and father hold their breath to hear what, what they're gonna say. Will their child receive the life sentence of slavery or the death sentence? If it was a boy, their hearts would sink and they would hold their son as long as they were allowed before he was taken from them. And if it was a young Hebrew girl, oh, they would have awakened from their infancy and toddlers to a very cruel world. Raised in slave housing and put to work as soon as she was old enough. Her youngest memory would be work and she would have no other memories than that. For a young Hebrew slave girl, there were no rights, there were no laws of protection surrounded by people who had power over her body and took full advantage of their position. 
She would have been raised um, with a far uh, likely amount of abuse at worst and at best just neglect. There's, there's many that were taken from their parents and forced it into a household to be a household slave somewhere else. The memory of saying goodbye to their mother and father and, the, and, then, and then at the whim of the treatment of the master of whoever's house that was. I say all this because we sterilize the Bible. We read over a sentence and go, they were in slavery for years or generations, and we just go, okay. But, but, but think of them. Be them for a second. I, I tell you this so often when you read the Bible, to pause and to see it and to smell it and feel it and to experience it. The young girls and the older boys who had come before this death decree had a very difficult childhood marked with trauma, marked with abuse, and marked with labor. And for, and for any Israelite child slave, there's, there's one very important lesson they would have learned. If you were a boy slave or a young girl slave, there was a lesson that you learned early on, and that was do not bring any attention to yourself. Do not be seen. For a slave girl or boy to be noticed would always bring pain or abuse or unwanted attention or affection. For an adult slave, if you are seen and, or bring attention to yourself, for a man, it's likely beatings, maybe a violation for the women and perhaps death for both. I can't imagine the terror of this, the exhaustion and just the heartbreaking reality of slavery throughout generations. Slave fathers unable to protect their wives or children, unable to better their lives for their loved one. And then slave mothers who have to say goodbye to their children or watch them murdered at birth. I mean, these are, these are long grinding days of labor, unending weeks of work, months of toil, years with no autonomy, and then decades upon decades of hopelessness, and finally, a life of birth to life to death marked by slavery, generation after generation ground down into dust in the Egyptian sand. These are the people that we're looking at. This is the context that Abraham is called into. And these people are saying, God... Please help me. Exodus 2, 23 and 25. Years passed. That right there, those two words are where you put in all the context. And the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under the burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. And God heard their groaning and he remembered his promise with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he looked down on his people of Israel and he knew it was time to ask or to act. God heard their cry. And acted, and he, he called Moses, and he's going to send Moses back to be their deliverer. And he tells this to Moses in Exodus 3, verse 7. The Lord told him, Moses, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of the harsh slave drivers. Yes, I know their suffering. And there's a few very specific things in those, verse, those sentences right there I want to pause and draw out because they're important for you in your life today. The first thing God says is, I have seen. I have seen their pain. I have seen their sorrow. In fact, this is actually a name of God. Did you know that? El Roy, the God who sees me. That name comes from our study in Genesis, which we did, this is almost over a year ago, where we look at another slave woman named Hagar, She's a slave woman married to Abraham. She's being abused by Abraham's wife, Sarah. She's pregnant and she runs and she flees into the wilderness. She, it's, it's a dead end run. She has nowhere else to go for rescue. She goes there to die. And while she's out there, God approaches her, this pregnant slave woman. 
and he speaks to her and he gives her comfort. And from her parched and cracked lips of Hagar, the slave, come a praise that will forever be recorded and known. You are El Roy. You are the God who sees me. You see me. A slave woman, Hagar, who had the same childhood as many of these, as these Hebrew girls, but God saw her. This is uttered from lips from a, a little girl who'd watched her life be sold for some silver. God sees me. This was spoken from quivering lips of a girl who'd grown up learning to be invisible wherever she goes, not to ever draw attention to herself. You're the God who sees me. This is from the dry mouth of a young woman who knew that to be seen by powerful men was to be taken advantage of. And yet the most powerful force in the, the world, God Almighty, sees her and gives her comfort. This is a, a slave girl who knew that she had always been only a means to an end. And no one had ever seen, ever looked at her and seen her true value. Yet on that day, El Roy, the God who sees, saw her. You see me. And the same God, El Roy, who sees Hagar, that's the same God who declares to Moses, I have seen my people in their slavery. I am El Roy, the God who sees. I see their pain. I see their sadness. I see their hopelessness. I see their abuse. I see where you feel trapped. I see where you feel you have no way out. I am the God who sees my people. El Roy declares to you today, whether you're the abused or the washed up or the sin-stained or the forgotten, the left behind, the used, the good for nothing, that there is a God who says, I see you. He sees your fear. He sees your loneliness. He sees your loss. He sees where others or life has discarded you. He sees you for who you truly are even when you cannot. He's the God who sees you. Back to Exodus 3. The Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I know of their suffering. You see the next sentence, he says, I have heard their cries. I have heard. If El Roy is the God who sees, we now see that God is the God who hears. El Shema, I am the God who hears you. God doesn't just see you, he hears you. He hears the prayers that comes from your lips, but he also hears the silent cries of your heart. He hears the unspoken, terrifying prayers of your heart that we gotta be admit, we gotta admit are just too terrifying to even verbalize sometimes. He's the God who hears. He is the God who hears you. So what does that mean? Begin to speak in your life to El Shema. Begin to speak your prayer to him. If speaking your needs and your prayers to God is not something you do, begin to speak. And not only that, but in the places of great need, begin to cry out to him. We all have those places of great need and oftentimes we just sit in it and we, and, we, and we just sit there and we wish and we hope. Begin to cry out from that place. Cry out to God. God, help me. God, please see me. God, please hear me. God, send rescue. Begin to speak. Begin to pray. Begin to cry out in your heart. It says in Psalm 17, 6 and 7, I am praying to you because I know you will answer, O God. Bend down and listen as I pray. Show me your unfailing love and wonderful ways by your mighty power you rescue. You are El Shema, the God who hears me. But there's more here in Exodus 3, verse 7. 
The Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. And yes, I know of their suffering. I know of their suffering. I know what my daughter is going through. I know what my son is in. I am the God who knows. El Yada, I am the God who knows. The word Yada here, it's not like a general kind of knowledge knowing. It's not like, oh yeah, I know tacos. No, this word is used for a husband and wife when they know each other intimately. This is a God who knows us in a way that we don't even know our own self. He knows you in every way. This is the God who knows your heart. He knows the good and the hopes and the fun. And he knows the bad and the sad and the fear and he knows the ugly and the past and the hidden and the sin. He knows it all. He is the God who knows you. And David writes a psalm in Psalm 139 and I believe it's a moment where the spirit of God opened his heart and his mind to see the full revelation of what it means to be known by God because this right here is how you are known by God. He says, oh Lord, you have examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up, you know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel. You see me rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm gonna say before I even say it, Lord? You go before me and you follow me and you walk next to me and place your hand of blessing upon my head. Such knowledge is, is too wonderful for me, too great to understand. I can never escape your spirit. I can't get away from your presence. If I were to go to heaven, you are there. If I were to go to the grave, you are there. If I'd ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell with the farthest oceans by them, even there your hand will guide me. Your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me. I could, and the light around me to become night. What that means is like, if, if I purposely tried to hide myself in darkness, if I flee to dark places to be involved in things that are far from the light of God, if I, if I, if I dive into darkness and let that envelop me and wander and, and, and go into private hidden sin, Verse 12, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. Even in the darkness of your anxiety and your de depression or your addiction or your sin or your pain or the darkness of your loneliness, God sees you, he hears you, and he knows you there. Even in your fleeing, even in your wandering or backsliddenness, to use that old word, even in the ways that we go far astray, God knows you. And he is there. But it gets even more beautiful. You see, this love of God didn't happen when you grew up and became a, quote, good person, whatever that would be. It, it, this love of God didn't happen when you, like, realized who Jesus was and started going to church. This, this God's loving you and knowing you, it was before you even knew yourself. His love for you was before you even knew what love was. He saw you before you were even seeable. Listen to what his spirit reveals to David. Verse 13, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion as I was woven together in the dark 
of the womb. You saw me before I was born. I mean, how precious are the thoughts of God about you, his son or your daughter? God knew you before you were known. He saw you being formed. He knit you together. He has known you your whole life. He knows you today. He knows the fears that you have. He knows the anxieties. He knows the depression. He knows the insecurities. He knows it all. He knows it. He knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself and he knows the goodness and the glory that he wants to weave into your story and yourself. You see, in our struggle, God says, I see you, I hear you, I know you. We don't have a God that's unmoved. We don't have a God that just sits up there and watches stoically and says, oh, well, it's a rough day. Tough times for old Bill down there. No, we have a God who sees, who hears our cry, who knows our pain, but he adds one more statement onto what we've been reading. Back to our verse. Then the Lord said to him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of the harsh slave drivers. Yes, I know of their suffering and I have come down to rescue them. I see you. I hear you. I know you. I will rescue you. God does this for the Hebrews. He saw them, he heard them, he knew them. He sent a deliverer, Moses, to rescue them. Spoiler alert, he's gonna lead them out of slavery. They're gonna pass through so many things in the wilderness and the desert and the hardship. He's gonna lead them to a, a new reality, a new place of goodness. We're gonna see God do some things in, in the coming months in, of our Exodus series that are shocking. We're gonna see a power that he unveils and unleashes that is frightening to behold. He shows up in fire. He's gonna show up in power. He's gonna show up in pain. He's gonna show up even in death. We're gonna see a God in Exodus who spares nothing to rescue his people. A God who spares nothing to rescue his people. That is the nature of our God today. Sparing nothing for those he loves. And for you today, guess what? He spared nothing. He saw you. He heard you. He knows you. He moved heaven and earth and didn't spare his own son, Jesus, to make a way to rescue you. You are seen, you are known, you are heard, and you are loved. No matter the reason you feel unworthy, no matter the reason you feel uh, uh, cast aside or, or too damaged or I'm too sinful. Man, if they only knew how much sin I had or if you're too wounded, God sees you and he loves you. He finds you and he lets you know that there is new life ahead for you. He wants you to know something, that you're his. He wants this, to stop being defined by the nightmares of your past and start being defined by the dreams he has for you in the future. He knows you. He wants you to know that you aren't the sum of all your sins. That's not what defines you. What defines you is, is what Jesus, his son, did on the cross and raising from the grave. You aren't too broken. You aren't too wounded. Your private tears aren't unseen and your pain isn't invisible. He sees you, he hears you, he knows you. You aren't too far gone for his grace. You haven't outsinned his love. You aren't too messed up. He sees you, he finds you in your sin and in love calls you out of it. He sees you and wants to know that you are his beloved daughter. You're his beloved son. And while you may define your entire life based on what's happened to you in your past or what you're involved in in your present, he wants to change that and define you by what his son is 
has done and will do in your life. You aren't too far gone. He finds you. You aren't too deep in, he sees you. You aren't too damaged, he hears you. You aren't too messed up, he knows you. And, and, and that his healing and hope can break through even the worst and most tragic of pasts and present circumstances and reveal a promised land ahead for you. That's the God we find in the Bible. He's the God who sees. He's the God who hears you. He's the God who knows you. But more than that, he's the God who sends rescue for you. Because here's, the, here's where I'm going to end. Jesus was the better Moses. Those Israelites, they needed rescue. And so God did it for them in Israel. He sent them Moses, their deliverer. But for you, he went much farther. For you, he went much farther than sending Moses. He sees you, he hears you, he knows you, and he sent his son, Jesus. He said, Jesus, bring them to me. Jesus is the better Moses. Moses and Jesus were both sent to save their people. But Moses and Jesus were both rejected by their people on their first coming. Moses took things into his own hands. He killed an Egyptian slave master. He went to the, the Hebrews and they mocked him. He was rejected by them. Jesus, he was rejected by his people to a point that he died on the cross. After that, both Jesus and Moses left for an extended period of time. Jesus ascended to heaven. Moses, he fled to Midian. But both would return and they would be recognized as the savior of the people. You see, Moses comes back in 40 years and through signs and wonders, they're gonna realize this is God's chosen one to lead us out of bondage. And Jesus, make no mistake, is gonna return someday. And when he does, we will know him by his authority and identity and there'll be no mistaking. God sent Moses to Israel, but he went much farther for you and me. He sent his own son. Apart from Jesus, spiritually, we are still in bondage in Egypt. Without Jesus today, we are still in bondage. We are still spiritually under the heel of the enemy, no matter how spiritually we think we are. Without Jesus, we need rescue. Without Jesus, we are still defined and shackled by our sin. But God wanted to see us free and he made a new place. He made a promised land and then he sent Jesus, God in flesh, to come into our world, to come into our life and lead us out to it. He lived his life perfectly. He died on a cross and rose again to pay the ransom, pay the price for your soul. He is the God who sees you, who hears you, who knows you, who rescues you and who came for you. And here's what happens. When you accept Jesus as your savior, all your sins, past, present, and future, are paid for and covered by him. I just want to ask a question. Do you know how much you need him today? Those of some of you who've known him for so long, be reminded of how much you need him. Be reminded of the great rescue mission that was sent on your behalf. For some of you here today, you have wandered, you, you met Jesus at camp sometime a long time ago, and, but, but you have wandered, you have, you have messed it up. You're a professional at sin, you're great at it. We all are. But you would say, I want to come home to my faith. I wanna recommit and reaffirm that, that Jesus is my savior. I have wandered, I have gone off, but I know who Jesus is. I might have had those days back in my past where I was on fire and it made so much sense, and, but I, I have messed it up since then. But Jesus, I know who you are and I wanna recommit myself to you. And there are others of you in here today 
and you have lived your entire spiritual journey, it's taken you all over the place and, and you have gathered the experiences you have that's led you to this moment right here in my voice to hear this, is that Jesus died for your sins and calls you to eternal life and that you could receive him this morning and you can no longer be defined by your past but be defined by him as savior. And so for those of you who would say, I want to recommit because I have wandered, but I'm coming back. And for those of you who say for the first time, I've never really stepped into this, but in faith, I want to step in and receive this. I want you to pray a prayer with me. We're all going to pray together. But for those of you who are praying for the first time or perhaps a fresh time, I want you to speak with your lips and believe in your heart these words. Say, Jesus, I need you. I know you lived and died and rose again. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my wandering. I give my life to you. Take a deep breath in. Holy Spirit, fill me afresh and anew. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna end this morning with communion together. If you don't have communion and you'd like to take it, um, there's no class to take this, no exam. We, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We have extras up here on the side, also under the camera in the middle. We're gonna take communion together because it's appropriate today that we would take the elements of Jesus. And so let's get the, the, the bread. When Jesus was with his disciples, he held it up and he said, this is my body. And then you know what he did? He broke it. And so I always, I always break it to remind me of Jesus's broken body. So let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for your broken body, broken for us. And Jesus, right now, if any of us need to confess anything, any sins, we give you a, sec we give you a second just to confess in our hearts, confess whatever would be needed. And Jesus, we take and eat in remembrance of you. And now, the symbol of his blood that was shed on the cross for a new covenant. Jesus, we thank you so much for your shed blood that you would give your very life for us. Pray that you would forgive us, heal us, empower us. Take and drink. A few ways to respond this morning. If you were in here or with us online, or listening, and you prayed to receive Jesus for the first time or a fresh time, I would want you to email me so I can get to know you, talk through it with you. Please email me. It's in the bulletin. It's on the website. Those of you, there's others of you in here who have tangible, legitimate needs that you would like somebody to pray for you for. I'm going to ask some of our mature Christians and some of our elders to be at the back over here. I'll also be up here if you want someone to pray with you. Uh, if you're online service right now, we have an online pastor who would love to pray with you. But, but please, don't let this go by without getting some prayer from somebody over what you're going through. And there is only one response that's truly worthy when we talk about Jesus dying for us and making a way, and that's worship. So Orchard, for the rest of us, we're gonna stand and may God hear our, our voices, but also hear our hearts as we sing about the God who sees, who hears, who knows, and who sent rescue for us. Let's worship.